Take your sunglasses off. Is he better with them on, man? You don't take them off, I'm going to throw them off the overpass while they're still on your head. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a somewhat somber Cult Spark minicast. Uh, unfortunately, the world of fiction lost one of its greats this past Tuesday. The novelist Elmore Leonard died from complications resulting from a recent stroke at the age of 87. My name is Bob Taylor, and I'm the publisher and editor of CultSpark.com. I'm joined tonight by Tyler Morning Telegraph editor, entertainment editor, and occasional CultSpark contributor Stuart Smith. Stu, it was your idea to do a minicast tonight to just briefly celebrate Leonard's work. Not just his books, but the films and TV series that sprung from those books. So I'll let you just go ahead and take a little bit and talk about what you feel is the man's you know, ultimate and obviously large legacy. You know, it, it's really difficult to kind of, you know, how do you encapsulate uh, a career that has spanned, you know, nearly 50 novels, uh, many of which are just I- iconic in their own right, uh, and many of which have went on to be produced into amazing films. I mean, Jackie Brown is, uh, you know, which was adapted from rum punch is, uh, easily one of Tarantino's best, if not Quentin Tarantino's best film, uh, out of sight is, uh, easily in my top 10 favorite films of all time. Uh, you know, get shorty just kind of, that really changed the way that I look at the way that comedy was written. Uh, especially, you know, especially the book and then, of course, the John Travolta movie, uh, you know, and then you have something like Justified, which just kind of somehow the writers managed to emulate Leonard's distinct voice every single week, episode after episode. It's, I don't know. It's just been, you know, and then you have stuff. I mean, and people I don't think a lot of people realize that he was. Uh, writing books for so long, like the original 310 to Yuma with with Glenn Ford, uh, that's based on his original novel. And that mm-hmm. I, I forget what year that came out, but I mean that you know that's back when Glenn Ford was active. So I mean that's been decades ago. Well, you right, know, he's just he's, Leonard, he's Leonard started writing westerns in the 50s, I believe, early 50s. Yeah, it's somewhere around then. And yeah, you know, spent a while doing that and switched to crime fiction. And he's been going nonstop for basically his entire life. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's just how else do you write 48 novels unless you're just constantly writing? And, you know, you immediately bring up some of the movie versions that are based on his work. And normally it kind of seems unfair to let film adaptations represent a writer. But in Leonard's case, it's like a a lot of the films based on his work, especially these, these, you know, the best ones, the ones you named, they seem very much his, they seem, you know, they seem very much to capture his personality and his writing style. And they feel like Elmer Leonard works, even though they're just adaptations. Well, absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that the people that made those adaptations were foremost fans of of Elmore Leonard you know you hear Quentin Tarantino talk about Rum Punch uh, and he was just you know he fell in love with that book he loved the tone he loved the writing he loved the characters uh, and thankfully you know he wrote in a way that really was just it was conducive to to adapting I, you know you had said on Facebook that you know, his books kind of read almost like screenplays. They're almost Hollywood ready, you know, and his characters are just, they're so colorful and he defines them so well, you know, both through description and through action that, you know, it's, it's, it's almost difficult to make a poor film out of his stuff. 
Right. I mean, uh, his books are just just populated top to bottom with these colorful characters that are ready made for the screen. And, you know, Elmer Leonard wasn't very much a, you know, he wasn't an inner monologue guy. He was very much about plot and action and moving forward and conflict between characters. And it's the things that I know you just, you're, you're looking for in a great screenplay. It's right there on the page and that's everything on the page. That's what he did. Well, and the thing, the thing that really catches me is that like, he's, he's, he was so great with dialogue you know, it was always punchy. It was it was it was snappy, but it was never showy. You know, you know, you never felt that he was just kind of like putting in a quip or you know a line. Uh, you know, just because he knew that he could he could you know put in a zinger or something. You know, mm-hmm. like he was just he was very precise and you know he it was very efficient writing kind of to a point I guess. You know, because like you said, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't much for inner monologue and he wasn't one. I mean, he always kind of got to the point. It's like uh, he had this, quote unquote, list of of rules for writing. And the the last rule on that list was try to try to leave out the parts that people tend to skip. And it's you know, that's kind of a joke, but it's also really kind of true. And that really kind of that really exemplifies the way that he you know approached writing. And again, that sort of fits with, you know, these things reading like perfectly made movies because, you know, you know, there's there's that whole concept of when you're making a film, you don't show the characters entering the room. You don't show the characters leaving the room. You just show what happens in the room. You, right. you leave out the stuff nobody cares about. So, yeah. Um, do you remember what your first introduction to his work was, either through movies or, you know, something you read of his? Or do you remember how you first learned of him? My first introduction, it was either I can't remember if I if I watched Jackie Brown first or if I read Get Shorty first. I know they were both kind of around the same time. I was in college, um, and I know like I read I read Get Shorty and I watched Get Shorty back to back because I was taking a literature and film class, and it was it was supposed to be you know books and movies that had similar thematic content. And all that, but really, it was just kind of an excuse for the professor to have us read his favorite books and then watch his favorite movies, <laughs> uh, which was fine by me because you know this is as long as the in- guy has good taste, right? Well, no, he yeah. did. I mean, this is where I get introduced to like The Thin Man and Doctor Strangelove, and where I watched a bunch of Chaplin films, right? Uh, and where he, you know, he had us read, read and watch The Maltese Falcon, and then read and watch uh, Get Shorty, and. Uh, you know, so and and then I had kind of around the same time I watched Jackie Brown for the first time, uh, and you know it was just it was so it was interesting. Like I I didn't know that Jackie Brown was adapted from a novel, but I could almost tell mm-hmm. because it's it's very much it's it's Tarantino's most restrained work, but it's it's because he's building off of these other characters, you know, and he doesn't he he doesn't get in the way of what Leonard kind of put together. And, you know, and again, not even really knowing who Elmer Leonard was that that's still shown through just kind of in retrospect, but, you know, reading, reading get shorty and then watching the movie immediately afterwards, it was striking to me. Uh, you know, that's when it really kind of hit me. Like what you said about it just being tailor made for film. It's just, it, it was astounding to me how easily, John Travolta was able to make Chili Palmer come to life because, you know, the the heavy lifting had already been done for him. I mean, that character was I mean, that 
he played him as he was on the page. You know, my intro was definitely get shorty the film that I'm, I'm almost positive. That's the first thing that I had seen that had sprung from Leonard's mind that came out in uh, 95. So I would have been like 20 or 21. And I, you know, I remember seeing it and I loved that film when it was released and I'm, sh- I, you know, I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure Leonard was, I, I know Leonard liked that film. So I'm sure he was in the press a lot and doing right. some press for the movie. And I got really interested and I picked up, uh, writing the rap and pronto on paperback, which were two of his books from that era yeah. and ended up reading those and I just loved them, but loved them both tore through them. It's just like, wow, this guy's really, really good. And, um, the interesting thing about those books is that those are the because we we've briefly mentioned Justified and I'm sure we're going to talk about it again. But Justified, I know me and you are in agreement, Stu, is clearly one of the best things on TV right now. Uh, it's it's my like I'm in the minority when I say that it's my favorite. Like it's my favorite show. Like I enjoy it more than Breaking Bad, more than Mad I, Men. I mean, I just yeah, it, I enjoy like, it more than Mad Men. I put it behind Breaking Bad, but it's probably I'd say it's my second favorite active show. It just kind of clicks Bad. with me, like. You know, all all those other shows, I mean, they're exceptionally well written and all that, but there are just there the characters in Justified just come alive for me and they have such great distinct personalities and you know, even when they're being terrible people, which Raylan Givens often can be, uh, you know, it, they're still just compelling and enjoyable and identify you know, I I'm Definitely. able to identify with them with and what's uh, in, what I was gonna say, what's interesting is that I, because when, when they announced Justified I, I was instantly excited because I knew it was based on Elmore Leonard, and I knew it came from uh, Graham Yost, who's a very good writer who had a big hand in um, Band of Brothers, the, the right. HBO Steven Spielberg miniseries. And uh, Ollie Font was going to star, and I loved Ollie Font from, for basically forever, basically dating back to Scream 2, but really because of Deadwood. Right. And so I was excited for it anyway. And when they announced he was playing Raylan Givens, it was like, hmm, Raylan Givens, I know that name. Why do I know that name? I don't I don't think I've read any Raylan Givens books. Why Why do I know the name? And it turns out I did. Ray, Raylan right. Givens is featured in Pronto and Riding the Rap, the two Elmer Leonard novels I'd went and picked up and read. He's not the main character. He's, he's a supporting He's he's sort of one of the three main characters or four main characters, but more of a supporting under the, the those yeah. books are about an aging World War Two vet bookie named uh, Harry something Harry Arno maybe. Now do those did those come out before or after Fire in the Hole? Before, way before. Okay. And I had forgotten, you know, a bunch of years had passed between when right. I read them and when I finally realized that oh they're they're making this show called Justified. And they're using that Raylan Givens character. I was just like, wow, I read those. But then, yeah, it turns out that it was based on Fire in a Hole, which is a short uh, Fire in the Hole, which is a sh- – I think it's in the <laughs> – Fire in the Hole. Yes, in, in the. Yeah, which was – you know, the, the man just died. I don't want to screw up his work. We don't want to be insulting. We got to get, get the name right. Fire in the Hole. But, fire in a hole. Well, yeah. Which one? I don't know. A-hole. <laughs> just some hole. Some hole. But – um, yeah, that was a short. <laughs> that was a short story that le- I, I, I apparently Leonard had never been able to entirely shake that Raylan Givens character, and so he wrote right. the short story "Fire in the Hole," where Raylan Givens was finally the lead, and that's what was turned into Justified, and and that huge chain of events has given us one of our favorite TV shows too. And you mentioned earlier in this podcast about how yeah, it is pretty incredible that. You know, Leonard. I I know Elmer Leonard really liked the show, and I know he was peripherally involved. Um, specifically, I know he later wrote 
a after Justified had already launched and had its first season, he wrote a novel called Raylan. And they actually that was written consecutively as the show was in production. And they actually took some of the plots and stories from that book and worked them into the show. So, well, it's not like he was on the writing staff or any way. He was as obviously involved as much, you know, more than a lot of authors would be. He was involved and he's I mean, he's been quoted as saying that, you know, Tim Oliphant just uh, thoroughly, you know, he he embodied the character as he wrote him. Right, right. And so uh, it, which, and it was well, and it was interesting, too, because he's like he he actually said that, you know, as he was writing the Raylan, the actual Raylan stories uh, in the follow up, you know, that he just was like this was the first I, I want to say that he said something along the lines of like this was the first time that I had, you know, written additional stories with like the action with an actor the actor in mind in my head and not just, you know, the characters I had originally kind of conceived it. My point was anyway, though. So even though Leonard was involved to some capacity, it wasn't a huge capacity yet. The way Yost and that writing staff are able to just effortlessly mimic Leonard's style and tone and sort of pace for that show. It's, it's just amazing. It feels Elmer and Leonard through and through, even though they're putting out what 13 episodes a year you right. know, based on a character, really, not, you know, a hard series of books or anything. It's it's incredible. It always feels distinctly Elmer Leonard. Right. Absolutely. Well, and that, you know, it. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> you agree. No, yeah, I was going to say it's it's hard to know what to say uh, um, beyond that. Uh, out of. Well, it's interesting. I need to you, – you mentioned Out of Sight, and you said Out of Sight's one of your top ten favorite all-time. Easily. That, easily. I, 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 I wouldn't – Out of Sight wouldn't make my top ten all-time, but, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't shout you out of a room for that. I think it's I, I think it's by far the best movie based on his work. It, we, we can talk about Jackie Brown, which I've always – Jackie Brown has always been my least favorite tarantino film really yes although Man. i will admit i haven't seen it in a long time and it you, you really need to go back and revisit it's that. been i think i saw it twice in the theater and maybe two one or two more times within the first you know three four years after the home video and i haven't seen it since then that's one of those that just it gets better every time i watch it and i think a lot of that has to do with just the more familiar i am with tarantino's work I suspect, the more the more it stands out, you know, and and again, a lot of that has to do with the with the Leonard voice. But it's just it's such a different beast from everything else that he's done. I suspect you know? that I'd enjoyed it more now. And I, I may even be able to pinpoint because you specifically said earlier that it was probably Tarantino's most restrained work. Yeah. And and considering, you know, that was only his third full film after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I, at the time, I don't think I was ready for restraint. I think I kept right. wanting him to build. Well, yeah, I mean, every, everybody work. expected that one to be Pulp Fiction, too. Right. And so at the time, it never sat well with me. But now that, you know, we've, you know, seen Tarantino go just insane with, with right. the Kill Bill films and with Django Unchained, I, you know, I think I'd be much more willing to accept and appreciate a more restrained Tarantino now, so I really need to go back and revisit it. Yeah. Out of sight, no. Out of re- sight, but no, yeah, like, no revisitation necessary. That man, movie I, is. I can watch that movie. Nasty. I can watch that movie at the drop of a hat, and I, I just, I mean, a lot of it is Soderbergh's direction, um, you know, but a lot of it too is just it's the way that those characters are constructed, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's and the way that the support, it's the way that the, the relationship. Supporting... 
Go between on. you know between Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, just it it takes so like it takes so much time to form, but once it gets there, it just clicks in such a great way. Like there's just I don't know there there's something about the tone of that whole movie that that just it doesn't feel typical for that type of movie at all. I don't you know it's 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 hard for me to put my finger on it. It's um. Yeah, I mean, you have Soderbergh really coming into his own. You have George Clooney basically turning into a, a movie star in front of our eyes. Yeah. Oh, uh, by far. You have this great supporting cast of colorful lowlifes and villains, which, I mean, we're ba- I mean, nobody writes colorful lowlifes like Elmer Leonard did. Right. Ving Rhames and Don Cheadle and Steve Zahn and all those guys, Albert Brooks. Steve Zahn, and, Steve Zahn never gets the respect he deserves. No. And this movie is, is just one sort of you know notch on that on that plank and it Um, just it it feels like a leonard you know leonard's prose come to life in this era when like soderbergh i always felt then was sort of building off of tarantino and establishing this sort of new wave of crime cinema and it was like the perfect it was the perfect intersection of those two things well it was it was almost it's actually kind of interesting that you bring up tarantino because in a lot of ways it's almost the anti-tarantino it is it's i i don't think it's stylistically similar to tarantino but i do feel like it's almost someone's response personal response to a tarantino right i mean it's it's stylish and it has you know it has all these directorial flourishes correct you know, and just there's like the with, ta- with there's, the freeze you know, the frames time, and the editing the and jumping, all that kind There's of stuff. time right. skipping at the beginning, yeah. Right. I mean, there's there's definitely stuff in there that you know other people were trying to like do to be hip, but Soderbergh uses it in there, you know, really as a way to just kind of draw the story in his own way. He, I mean, he definitely made it his, his own. Like I said, it almost feels like a response to me. It's almost like Soderbergh's watching what Tarantino's doing and saying, right. "Well, that's that's not the way I would do that. This is the way I would do that." Right. But um, it's funny because, you know, you watch Out of Sight now and I still when I watch it, I'm like, man, that's Jennifer fucking Lopez. I know, right? I mean, I it's don't, depressing. I know. It's because, so depressing. I mean, Jennifer Lopez basically spent the next, uh, you know, however many years, 15 years becoming somewhat of a pop culture joke to serious minded right. cinephiles like us do. Well, and, it was, you know, it was, hasn't really contributed anything that would interest me in the least since then. But when you go back and watch Out of Sight, it's like, oh, my God, she's so fucking good in this. She's fantastic. Like, she just like every time I watch it, I'm just like, I'm I hate I almost hate it because it's like we could have gotten more of this. Like she she fits in so well. She fits the rhythm of the dialogue and yes. Working with Clooney and just having that really subtle, smoldering relationship. Uh, oh God, it's so good. It's, I like. I just I almost want to yell at the TV. It's like, why couldn't we have gotten more of this? Right. You, you just you just want to like you like you get the feeling like when they actually tried the Karen Cisco television uh, series. Well, which I loved, but go on. Um, you know, it's like make your how, point first. How I mean, how how much. How much more of a chance might that have had, you know, had she been able to reprise her role as Karen Sisko? Oh, in a film, in a film series, or yeah, somewhere, you yeah, know, somehow yeah. further on. 
Yeah, Which, because by Cisco, the way, by the way, did Cisco you... I know has appeared in more Leonard books. I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've read a million of my Leonard books. Right. I've read a handful, but I, I know the Karen Cisco character appears in other works, and it's like, yeah, right. it's the, it's, it's her franchise. Well, did you, did you catch the, uh, the subtle Karen Cisco? cameo and I, th- I think it was season three. Oh, of course of course that well, was just kind of amazing Stu, you're a little younger than me do you remember the I, karen cisco tv show well I, okay the, here's the, i remember it being i remember it being advertised and i remember like even when i was because you know I, I, what year did that come out do you even know 2003 okay that was okay yeah like i remember it being advertised and i remember thinking wow that actually looks like it could be pretty good but I never got a chance to watch it because, like, I mean, that was like in the middle of college, and I just, you know, I didn't watch, it, I didn't watch a whole lot of TV around then. Yes, Cisco uh, was. For people who don't know, Karen Cisco was a 2003 television series on ABC that was based on the character that Jennifer Lopez played in Out of Sight, and it starred Carla Gugino. As as Karen Cisco, it only ran like ten episodes, but it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, it's a if you ever, I don't even know if it's available right now, or if there's any way to no, watch I it. Wanna, I want to look it up now. If you can, it's a great ten episodes. And um, and then what happened? What Stu made mention of was they brought Gugino back on Justified as that character, except FX doesn't have the rights to the Karen Cisco character. So they changed her last name. And did you ever hear about how they got the new last name? Did you ever hear the little twist with uh, that, Stu? It was like she got divorced, I think it was. Well, right. The, the argument in the show was that she just gets divorced, and so she had a name change or took her maiden name back or whatever right, the just was. never. Just but never... the name they used in the show ends up being like a maiden name or a last name from the Cisco kid. Oh, wow. So. I... I didn't catch that. Yeah, I, I didn't catch it either. I ended up reading it after the fact. So huh. I mean, it's as blatant as they could possibly be. <laughs> that yes, we're everything you can get away with. Yeah, that right up to the line of full-on lawsuit, but you know, pulling back, but letting you know, yeah, remember, remember, Karen Cisco, this is her. I wish she'd come back. That you know, they set that up as and you know, oh, Carl is busy and still you know shows up in a lot of different things. But well, and like, I, I wish I mean, they put her back in. I would. I wish they would bring her back in, especially now uh, that Natalie Z's character oh. isn't really kind of in the picture anymore. Right. Um, yeah, we could use another strong female presence. Right. Absolutely. Well, and they. God, they just even in just like the two, two or three short scenes they had together, you know, uh, Oliphant and Gugino just. I mean, they. God, they just they worked so well together. They sold that. They sold that history so well so quickly. Plus, I'm just a big Carla Gugino fan. I mean, talk about well, who is good it? actress, gorgeous. I mean, great actress, drop dead gorgeous. It's like, she's so good. Find those ten episodes of Karen Cisco if you can. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to look <laughs> on Amazon. I, it, There's not. Ah, uh, yeah, they might. It could be a tough I don't find. think. I don't think they're anywhere. Robert Forster played her dad in that show. Oh, really? Yep. Man, I really need to watch this now. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, we should name some other stuff. 
I, I really feel, I, you know, it's awful that it takes someone dying to be like, oh, I really should dive in, you know, dive in and read some more of the man's works. And really, right. you know, I, you, you, you don't feel like that. You don't have the sense of, oh, I didn't read enough until they're gone. And then it's all of a sudden, oh, I didn't read enough. I should go back in and sample some of his Western stuff or right. see some of the older films from the, you know, 70s and 80s that were based on his stuff. Man, you know, that like that just kind of that's how it always works. Like that's how I got introduced to David Foster Wallace, Mm -hmm. who's probably my all time favorite writer now. But like it took him committing suicide for me to even hear somebody say his name, Mm -hmm. you know, so it just. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. It's the way it works. (laughs) What are you going to do? It sucks. Makes you feel bad because you, you know, you. Yeah, I hope that people know they're appreciated while they're alive, I guess, even if we wait till after death to get caught up. But, right. Well, Stu, is there anything else you'd like to add before we No, I think that I think that's uh I think um, that about covers this. I but I, you know, I I know the, the the four of us our our little podcast crew, we end up debating on on social media sometimes about how how sad we should be or how sad people should get when a celebrity dies. And I've always said, well, it should be directly related to how much joy they brought in your life and how much you appreciated their work. And, you know, I don't think you should automatically be sad when a celebrity dies, but you know, Elmer Leonard has brought a significant amount of great stories into my life. And when I actually, you told, I think it was you who told me he had died and it was, it was sad. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like anytime you have somebody that, that not only has, you know, enriched your life. Cause that's, I mean, that's really what he's done. It's like, or you know, inspired you in some way, right? whether I mean, you're writing, you know, with, an, whether you're writing a movie review of out of sight or attempting to write a crime short story or whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, if he inspired you in some way, it leaves a mark. Right. Well, it's, you know, I mean, he, he has made, you know, two of my absolute favorite movies. I mean, I love Jackie Brown and I love out of sight. And it's like, I wouldn't have those, if it weren't for his distinct voice, you know? So, I mean, and I mean, that it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it gets silly when you just really, really invest yourself in the death of someone or whatever. But I mean, yeah, to, to feel a loss because you know, that that's just, I don't know. It's kind of a part of it that's gone. Right. All right. Well, Stu, you're going to try to find Karen Cisco and I'm going to rewatch Jackie yep. Brown and outstanding. Leave it at that. Thanks for joining me tonight, Stu. All right, my pleasure, man. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, 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 here we go. AK-47, the very best there is. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. <laughs>